Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Good evening. Good, who's excited for church? For those of you that are new, my name is Ali. We started this church four years ago with a simple dream. We wanted to create a place where those who are far from God could be brought close to Jesus. Amen? And we are on a collection of talks called Bold Christians. And uh, this originally this collection of talks was meant to be three weeks long. But I've had so much content that I've, I've extended it two more weeks. And I was supposed to preach a, a very encouraging word today. I'm just letting you know it ain't going to be encouraging, but it's going to be biblical. Amen? And uh, I'm just going to make this a five-week collection of talks because there's just so much to talk about. And if you're new with us today and you don't know what we're talking about, we gave out these uh, free Bible journals. We still got a few. They're free 99 if you want one. Ask one of our team to get one. And essentially the story is about a 14, 15-year-old kid named Daniel who get, who's a prisoner of war. Maybe you classify him as a, a victim of human trafficking. And his country's attacked by Babylon. He has to walk 700 miles to his new hometown. He's then inundated in a school called the School of Babylon where he is surrounded by false gods, false demons, uh, uh, false people. Imagine being in a Christian nation around Christian parents at a Christian high school and then going to a non-Christian school, non-Christian country. He is completely surrounded. And not only does he survive this, he thrives in this environment. And often we find ourselves in a culture that is antithesis to the gospel, that, that isn't Christian, that doesn't believe in the gospel, that doesn't love or want anything to do with Jesus. And w- what do we do in those scenarios? What do you do when you're surrounded? What do you do as a person in Silicon Valley that's the most unchurched region in the entire country? God gave us the book of Daniel, listen, as a hand guide on how the godly people can survive in a godless culture. I'm going to read you Daniel chapter 3. We're going to read from Daniel chapter 3 and Romans chapter 1. A lot of Bible. Anybody love Bible this today? Come on. If you don't, you're going to after today. Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all the providential officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all the providential advisors assembled for the dedication of the image. I think it went twice. I apologize. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing fire. I almost titled this talk the the pinnacle of pressure. But to follow our theme, the, the title of today's sermon is Bold Faith. You need bold faith to stand in an environment where everyone wants you to do what the culture wants, and you say, I can't. You need bold faith in those moments. Before we begin, let me pray, because we're going to need it today. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank God that it's active and alive and sharper than any double-edged sword. God, I just pray that you'd fill this room with your spirit, that just as the rain goes forth and comes back and produces crops, so your word would go forth and would not return void. It would accomplish the task which which it was sent to do, God. God, bring dead people back to life. Bring your children home. 
May we walk out of this room looking more like Jesus, talking more like Jesus, loving more like Jesus. And if you believe that, everybody said? Everybody said? Amen. Uh, I'm going to show you this, uh, what's called our, my trusty preaching helmet. If you're new, you've never seen this before. Uh, there are sermons when you preach them, people shout you down. They share them on Instagram. They love them. Right after the sermon, after the church, they want to shake your hand, like kind of lift you up on your shoulders. Like, oh my gosh, we love you, pastor. And then there are sermons when you preach them, no one wants to say hi to you after church. They, they walk by you looking down. No one shares those sermons. No one likes them on Instagram. No, no one shares them on their story. This is one of those sermons. And I got two caveats. So for those of you watching online, uh, if you have kids under the age of 10, you want to go on a long bathroom break. Because I'm going to be speaking very frankly, very straightforward way about gender, marriage, and sexuality today. Uh, you might want to come back when the kids are not in the room. And number two, we did this two weeks ago, but I want to start the room off with the same spirit and same heart. So just repeat after me. I would rather... Just give it a little louder. You had two cups of coffee already. I would rather my pastor tell me what's true than tell me what I want to hear. So what we're going to do this morning or this evening is I'm going to read some verses and I'm going to preach on it. Read some verses and preach on it. Y'all ready? Daniel chapter 3. Then King Nebuchadnezzar set up an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, now we, no one follows cubics or the metric system. We're godly people. We're Americans. We have our standard inches and feet. And how tall is this? This is 90 feet tall. Most theologians believe that this statue was of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Imagine how much self-confidence you must have. To need to erect a 90-foot statue of yourself. Yes, this kid, this king has the self-confidence of a fat elementary school student. Come on. He's extremely insecure, and he sets up a 90-foot gold statue of himself. And then it continues. And then he summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, and judges, and magistrates, and all the official providential officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Now, I find this hilarious. This is very interesting that any, every commentary I read, no one knows what these people do, which is like, of course, welcome to government. Everyone has a title. No one knows what their job is. And it continues. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, and treasurers, and judges, and magistrates, and all the other of providential officials assembled for the dedication of the king, of the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. I need you to realize, this is not just the people who work in government. This is literally the entire city. They set up this statue in the middle of this, this province, in the middle of this plain, and Babylon has two or three, maybe 400,000 people. So imagine 400,000 people making this pilgrimage to the middle of nowhere, and now they're standing surrounding this 90-foot gold statue. And then it continues. Then the herald proclaimed, loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, and harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown to the blazing fire. And I need you to realize, behind the city of Babylon, I'm going to talk about this more, is the spirit of Babylon. What's happening here is basically, uh, anybody know what Hillsong worship is? One of the most famous worship. This is the demonic equivalent of Hillsong worship. I call it Hellsong. 
And, and they're out here. They're, this is a worship experience. They're singing. They want to get people emotionally charged. They, this moment of altar, this moment of commitment where you need to listen to the language. Bow your knee and confess with your tongue. Do you hear this, the resemblance of what happens? And it continues. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down. And worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now imagine this image in your mind. A 90-foot statue in the middle of nowhere. Three or 400,000 people surrounding this thing. Hell song is playing worship music. And there's this moment, this altar call. And imagine everyone bows down. Except for three or four men. And they refuse. This is the demonic equivalent of a Billy Graham crusade. And you need to see this theme that's throughout Scripture and intersects with Daniel chapter 3. And it's this, write this down. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. And God is the author of heaven and earth. Most scientists will say that, that they believe that there's a big bang. But when you go back to the origin of the big bang, they say that all of the universe was in the size of a pin. And then when you ask them what was before the pin, they have no answer. Because God spoke and the Big Bang happened. And our creator created 20 different thousand kinds of butterflies. He's that original. He's that creative. He's, he's that amazing. Satan doesn't create anything. He's a poser. He's a fake. He takes everything that God creates and then he twists it. And then he counterfeits it. And then he wants you to take the bait and believe his lie versus the truth. Let me give you some examples of the difference between God and Satan. God created Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Satan created Target brand cereal. God created Coke, Satan created Pepsi. God created Apple, Satan created the PC. God created the Rolex, Satan wears a Folex, he wears a Fuchi, and he wears Dolce and banana shoes. There's nothing original about Satan. But in reality, let me tell you, there are spiritual implications as well. God is, in the Bible, described as the God of heaven. Satan is described as the God of this earth. God creates revival. Satan creates riots. God wants to give you the Holy Spirit. Satan wants to give you unholy spirits. Those are demons, by the way. God wants to give you repentance. He says it like this. God wants to, us to repent of bad behavior and false beliefs. Satan wants you not to repent, but to tolerate bad behavior and bad beliefs. Because whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. And people are like, Pastor Ali, that, that was like 3,000 years ago with Daniel in front of the statue. That doesn't happen anymore. Let me show you how wrong you are. Because behind every city, not just the city of Babylon, is the spirit of Babylon. Look at this first image. This is in North Korea. The, the, the leaders of North Korea have set up a massive golden image where the people of North Korea are called to bow down and worship. Do you see the parallels? Let me show you this other image. This is in Turkmenistan. Uh, I researched a little bit. The, if in most, like, Elementary schools, when they do a, like a geography test, like where is every state? The most common misplaced state is Missouri. Turkmenistan is the Missouri of the Middle East. No one knows where it is, but everyone knows because of Borat that exists. This is in Turkmenistan. This is a king. Listen, he's on a golden horse ready to set up a new kingdom. If you ever read the book of Revelations, Jesus is riding on a horse ready to start a new kingdom. This is copyright infringement. This is copyright infringement. But the image is the same. Same things happening in a different country at a different time. Let me give you a final example. This is in China. 
This is a golden image where they want you to worship and pay homage and give allegiance to a, their God, their ruler. And Pastor Ali, why are you making this? This seems like coincidence. Different city, different country, different culture, same thing. Because the spirit of Babylon is always there. And the question is, why, Pastor Ali, are you making such a big deal out of this? Because I need you to understand the battle with churches is not with people or government. Our battles not with flesh and, bo- and blood. Our battles with principalities, demonic forces. That's why this church, it does not matter how good we preach or how amazing the worship is, we will never rise above the level of our prayer. It doesn't matter how many leadership development books we have, how many outside speakers we bring in, how many systems we have. Systems do not save people. The Spirit of God changes dead people back to life. We need a, a revival. We need an, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit because the spirit of Babylon is prevailing. And Chris Hodges, who is the pastor of the largest church in America, said church planning is primarily, listen, primarily spiritual warfare, which is why on December 3rd, write this date down, we're going to have a, a night of prayer and worship. Why? Because we're in a very critical moment of our church. We got kicked out of the hotel. We are not going to advance with strategy, with, with, with just a vision builder's offering. We need a move of God. We need a move of God. So imagine this scene. Daniel is there with his disciples. He, he's there. The whole city is surrounding this 90-foot this tower. Everybody bows down except for Daniel. And they say, Daniel, if you don't bow down, we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace, which is, again, a counterfeit hell. See, back then, 800 years ago, it, it was that if you don't believe in God, if you don't, if you don't worship the statue, we're going to throw you in the fire furnace. In 2021, it is we're going to cancel you on social media. We're going to remove your books from Amazon. We're going to cancel culture and get you lose your job. This is still happening today. I word like this. Their culture had idols. Our culture does ideologies. Their culture had an actual statue. Our culture has world, world views. Their culture, you actually had to bow down and worship. In our culture, you need to bow down and, and agree with it. The same thing is happening. Let me give you some examples of how our culture wants you to bend the knee to the spirit of Babylon. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, yes, he had a, the self-esteem of an elementary school student, but he was very wise in what he was doing. So you got to understand, King Babylon was the most violent country in the world. They didn't, like, knock on the door and say, hey, do you want to join us? They'd kick your door down, kill the husband, and rape the wife. They advanced through the sword. And what's happening is they now have the largest amount of land in human history. That More nations are under the rule of Babylon than ever before. Imagine the different countries, the different languages, listen, the different religions. What Babylon, the king of Nebuchadnezzar is doing, he's saying, don't just bend your knee and worship me. I want you to give me and this country more allegiance than your personal God. This is still happening today. They did a study recently where they interviewed 150,000 evangelical Christians. If you ever went to statistics class in college, you only need 10,000 data points. This study has 150,000 data points. And they asked this question, which is more important to you, your religion or being an American? The answers were stark. 13% of people said, very straightforward, it's more important for me to be an American than to be as a Christian. I'm not going to address that. 71% of people said those are both of equal importance. 
only, listen to me, only 14% of evangelical Christians say it's more important to me to be a Christian than an American. Before I address that, let me just say, I love America. Hashtag America, right? My parents left Iran in 1979. We ain't ever going back. Actually, every time I watch the news and I see people like complain about America, I'm like, bro, go back to my home country. This country is awesome. Like, I, I, my favorite holiday is the 4th of July. Why? Because I love to drink beer and watch things explode. Because I'm an American. If I could, I'd put an American flag on my butt. There's too much hair. You won't see it. I love America. But the moment being a good American means I'm a bad Christian, peace out. Peace out. Because you can have my vote. You cannot have my heart. My heart belongs to Christ and Christ alone. And I'm terrified for many of you in this room that there's the radical politicization of our country, that you are actually bending your knee to a blue elephant or a red donkey, and you're called to bend your knee to a slain lamb. You're, you're called to bend your knee to Jesus and no one else. You can clap. Go all in. The second example. Let me just tell you, I've got to put this hat on for the next 10 minutes, okay? It's going to be cray-cray for the next 10 minutes. Rome, this is Revelation chapter 14, verse 8. It says this. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of her passion, of her sexual immorality. This is the Apostle John. Go, go back to the previous verse. Leave it right there, please. This is the Apostle John. He wrote this probably later in life. He's 89 years old. Many theologians believe he's on the island of Patmos. He's the only one of the 12 apostles that did not die a martyr's death. He died of old age. He wrote this book, many theologians believe, when he was 80, 90 years old. He was there when Jesus healed the blind, healed the sick, made the lame walk and the dead rise back together from life. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote the book of Revelations. When he wrote this verse, the city of Babylon had been gone for 800 years. So that means if you Googled Babylon, the pin would never drop because it doesn't exist. So what the heck is he talking about? What Paul, the apostle John is trying to get into our minds is that even though the city of Babylon is gone, the spirit of Babylon is still working. Still, and doesn't just want allegiance away from God. Listen, the number one thing the spirit of Babylon does is sexual immorality. This is where it's going to get a little crazy today. Okay? Sexual immorality. What I'm about to do is read you the most hated, the most despised section of Scripture in the entire New Testament. And before you get angry, just realize all I'm doing is reading the Bible. All, that's all I'm, if you get angry, ask God to change your heart. Let me show you these verses. Revelations, or Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. We, we hate the wrath of God. We hate talking about God being angry. We hate the idea of hell. We think it's oppressive, repressive. Oh, Pastor Ali, those are archaic. Those are just things that religious people use to emotionally manipulate people. And it's interesting because when we watch the news and we hear about, you know, a husband punching his wife and beating his kids, we get angry. When we hear about kids being sexually assaulted by a pedophile, what, we get angry. And those are all examples of us pouring out our wrath on those people. But the moment that God wants to pour out his wrath on us, time out, that's oppressive, that's repressive. Why is it okay for us to be angry but not God? And think about the examples of issues of social justice and racial injustice. 
things that, believe me when I say this, we should be fighting for. We should be fighting for racial recon reconciliation. We, we should be championing things of social justice. But let me remind you, we are on the wrong side of the greatest injustice in human history. We killed God. It's okay for him to be angry. It's not unjust. If the wrath of God bothers you, look in the mirror. You get angry too. Continues. Against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their, I told you no one was going to say amen to the sermon, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Underline those three words in your Bible. Suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What, what, what this verse is saying is that the, there is the, the creation reveals something about God. Same way you look at a house that's being built, it reveals something about the builder. When you look at a painting, it reveals something about the artist. When you look at the universe and how massive it is, that if we're one millimeter closer to the, closer to the sun, we'd burn up. It reveals something about a creator. The, the, the existence of God is plainly seen. When you talk to most atheists who are like at the, the highest levels of intelligence, championing for God doesn't exist, they refuse to believe that God exists. They're spending all of their time and energy to disprove it, even though by their own admission, all the evidence points that there is a God and there's a creator. It's not that they don't believe the truth. They suppress the truth. Because they've chosen, we want to live this way, I want to love this way, I want to do sex this way, I want to do life this way, and I don't want to hear the truth. When they bring Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to a 90-foot golden statue, they say, worship it! Daniel's like, bro, that's, a that's not God. The Babylonians knew that. But they want to suppress the truth. And in, six in Daniel's day, they threw Daniel in the fiery furnace to suppress the truth. In 2021, they cancel you on social media. They try to get you fired from your job and they remove your books from Amazon. Romans chapter 1 is largely just cancel culture suppressing the truth. Let me give you five examples where truth suppression is happening in America. Why? Because the spirit of Babylon is here. Let me give you these five. Number one, this is why Amazon now removes any book that questions transgender ideology or questions affirming gender reassignment surgery, even for children. This is why there are 95 studies that have talked about what's the healthiest environment to raise a little boy. Not, 100 studies. 95 of them will say that a healthy mommy and a, a, a healthy child is raised in a family with a healthy mom and a healthy dad, and they both go to church. But you will never hear about those 95 studies. You will hear about the five that say otherwise. Why? Truth suppression. That's why four months ago, a man by the name of Preston Sprinkle gave a talk at a Christian seminary. All he did was open up the Bible and talk about human sexuality from the biblical perspective. And his talk was removed from YouTube. Why? Truth suppression. That's why during the Olympics, anyone who was banned from Twitter saying that biological males should, should not compete against biological women in powerlifting. That's why this sermon may not be on YouTube tomorrow. Truth suppression. And when you deny that God exists... The first thing you do is you deny he exists. Second thing you do is suppress the truth. And number three, you replace sex with God as your religion. I want you to write this 
this phrase down because this is what Romans chapter 1 is really trying to get you to realize. That the real test of lordship is not what you do with a tithe, although that's important, but what you do with your underwear. Pin needles. I believe you should tithe. I believe everyone in this room who calls this church home should give to our vision builders offering, even if it's a dollar. We want 100% commit participation so that your heart's invested in this church. But the lordship of Jesus as the greatest test in your life is not what you do with money. What Paul is trying to tell you in Romans chapter 1 is what you do with your underwear. Do you give Jesus your sexuality? If you don't, I just need to tell you, maybe you're not a Christian. And this, I didn't write this book. God did. And then it continues. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile, futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Well, Paul's trying to make the distinction. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. You go to any college campus, you're going to find any professor with more degrees than Fahrenheit that will affirm any belief, any ideology that you tell him. But he's not wise according to the scriptures because there's a difference between creation and creator. And the moment that you worship creation is you've taken a good thing and you've made it a God thing. And you look at human history, the the most common thing, the most repeated thing that we worship is not money. Although we do worship money. Not youth, even though everyone loves Botox. It's not fame, even though half this room wants to be Instagram influencers. The number one thing that we worship in every culture is sex. The question is, well, why, Pastor Ali? Why does that happen? Because in Genesis chapter 1, when God was making the heavens and the earth, when he made land and sea, when he made Nemo and Free Willy, when he made Timon and Simba, and then he made the bushes, the trees. On day, for the first five days, he said, it was good, it was good, it was good. Then on day six, he didn't use that language. When he made Adam and Eve, when he made the human body, when he made them naked, God said, it was very good. That's why, why? Because sex is the most potent drug on earth. That's why when God, the very first time he sees a naked woman, he says, very good. The very first time Adam, he's naming all the animals, monkey, horse, orangutan. The moment he sees Eve, most Bible commentators will say, Genesis chapter 2, the last three verses, Adam breaks out into song. Husbands, I have homework for you. You When your wife comes home from work, you need to have your Bible open. Say, honey, we need to do a Bible study. The first time God saw a naked woman, he said, very good. The first time Adam saw a naked woman, he began to sing. You need to get naked and let's see what happens. Maybe I'll get naked. And if you're single and you want it, put a ring on it. Let's continue. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This theme, therefore God gave them up. Sometimes God, as a loving father, he doesn't discipline you with active punishment. Sometimes as a dad, he just lets you go. Because he knows you're not going to listen to him. He's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to twist your arm and make you obey him. Sometimes because God's a father 
who loves us as his children. He'll let you go and burn your hand on the stove in hopes that you'll come back because he will always have open arms for you. What I'm about to read, the next three or four verses, I'm just telling you, they are very, very heavy. If something stirs inside of you, maybe anger or frustration, just realize all I'm doing is just reading the Bible. For this reason... God gave them up to their dishonorable passions, for women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received themselves themselves the due penalty for their error. Often in church, we we, kind of categorize, we have good guys and bad guys, straight people and gay people. And it's not the dichotomy that's going on here. There's only one camp, bad guys and Jesus. They asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, how, how, how would you define sexual immorality? And Jesus used this word, porneia. It's where we get the root word for pornography. Porneia is this like junk drawer for like all encompassing sexual immorality. Any kind of sex that you commit with your eyes, your mind, or your body. Which means everyone in this room who's older than the age of 13... You have committed porneia. You have thought something in un- sexu- sexually immoral. You have looked at something sexually immoral. Or you have done something, something sexually immoral. Which means it's not like good guys and bad guys. It's sexually immoral people and Jesus. And the gospel is not good guys and bad guys, straight and, and, and non-straight. It's not like that at all. It's Jesus and a bunch of ratchet people in the room. And God leaves heaven as and becomes a man and lives a sexually pure life and then dies on a cross for our sexual immorality. There's not like categories like, oh, that's the icky sin. Everyone is guilty of the same crime. We have been sexually immoral against God. Please don't think I'm picking on anyone. But, uh, but you got to realize, people hear this and they're like, Pastor Ali, this sounds oppressive. This sounds wrong. How could, how, people need to sexually express themselves. Let me remind you, you've been inundated your entire life with the ideologies of America. You have been trained to believe that. Because the God that we worship, Jesus, he lived a, a life that was not only single, but abstinent. Some of you went to public school, you don't know what that means. He didn't have sex. He didn't have sex. Let me just be very clear. The happiest, most joyful, the most fulfilled life in human history was not an Instagram influencer was not a dude that slept with all the women in the world, was not the richest man in the world, was Jesus, the one who obeyed God. He never had sex. Listen, you're in church. You're not having sex now. When you go grocery shopping, you're not having sex. Just keep doing that. And then it continues. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to the debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Some people say this is Romans chapter 1. I say this is 21st century America. And if you don't tote the line, parade with them, hold the flag, like their Instagram pictures, share their post, you will be labeled intolerant. 
you will be labeled intolerant. My question is this. If if you're so insecure in your beliefs and you need my approval, maybe you should re-examine your values. I want to ask this question, and I want everyone to write it down. If you don't like what God says about sex and sexuality, you need to ask God to change your heart. If you don't like what God says about money and generosity, you need to ask God to change your heart. If you don't like what God says about forgiveness and revenge, you need to ask God to change your heart. If you don't like what God says about marriage and dying for your wife, you need to ask God to change your heart. If you don't like what God says about the Warriors and not the Lakers, you need to ask God to change your heart. But the truth is this. Write this second question down. What the people of God, what do the people of God do when they are faced with an every knee shall bow moment? What do you do when the culture pressures you to obey what they do. Daniel, I love them in this moment because they didn't start an Instagram handle called Never Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't make t-shirts as Not My Emperor. They didn't do that. They could have, but they didn't. Instead, they had humble, gentle, meek, non-participation. Sometimes we see meekness as weakness. Meekness, let me redefine it, is having the power to fight back, but releasing control to God. Because you believe that God loves you, he's for you, and he's got your back. And you're going to leave the outcome to him. That takes, listen to me, bold faith to surrender the outcome to God when there's pressure to not. Let me read you Daniel chapter 3. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. These are the evil leaders talking to King Nebuchadnezzar about these three, four young men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, king. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Imagine this. There's 300,000 people, and they're all standing surrounding this golden 90-foot statue. And then everyone gets down on one knee. And there's four men in the sea of people who refuse to stand. It doesn't matter if you're on the back of the line. You can see that. Everyone in the kingdom knows these men are not bowing down. Simple, humble, meek, non-participation. I'm going to give you two amazing examples and three real-life examples. First one, if you look at the picture on the screen... This is a German soldier during World War II. His name is August Landmuser. Everyone's doing the Sig Heil, and he refuses. Turns out, the backstory is actually dating a cute Jewish chick. It's always the chicks. When the German army found out, they separated him from his girl. She was sent to a concentration camp where she later died. He was sent to the front lines where he later died himself. Gentle humble, meek. I refuse to participate. Second example. I read a book two years ago called David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Amazing book. And he talks about a pastor by the name of Andre Trocme. When, when the German army had invaded France, they went to Paris, and within two weeks, all of France fell. 
and they deported all the Jews in Paris. And then they sent letters to every city in France saying, you need to do the same thing. And Andre Trocmé was a pastor in a small city in southern France called Les Chambon. They said, send us your Jews. And Andre Trocmé sent this letter. Let me read you his words. We have learned the terrible scenes that took place in Paris three weeks ago when the French police, on orders of the occupying power, arrested in their homes all the Jewish families in Paris for their deportation. Fathers were torn from their families and deported to Germany. Children were torn from their mothers who shared the same fate as their fathers. We are afraid that the measures of deportation of the Jews will soon be applied to the southern zone. We wish to let you know that we have among us a number of Jews, but, make, but we make no distinction between Jew and non-Jew. He's literally quoting Galatians chapter 2. There's neither Jew or Gentile, free or slave, male or female. If our comrades, whose only fault is that they belong to another religion, receive an order to be deported or even to let themselves be examined, we will disobey your orders and we will do our best to hide them. Let me translate. We have Jews. You're not getting them. This man alone saved 3,500 Jews, men, women, and children. Why? Humble, meek, non-participation. When the whole country bowed their knee, he refused. Let me give you some real-world examples because these are exemplary. Let's say you're at work and you, you just worked a long, big project and everyone is going for shots, right? At my work, we literally, every Friday, we had shots for tots. They you take shots for Jesus and you put $5 in a cup and give it to toddlers in, in foreign countries. And imagine everyone's like getting together. Everyone gets a round of beers. And now it's time for round two. They're like, come on, Pastor. Come on, Allie. Round two. They're like, no, no, no. I, I'm good. What do you mean you're not drinking? Everyone's drinking. You got to join us. What's wrong with you? Oh, you don't understand. I, I'm a follower of Jesus. And he wants me to be sober-minded. One's enough. Awkward moment. Non-participation. Let me give you another example. Let's say you're at work or maybe with your high school friends, and they, they make those, you know, sexual jokes, and we're like, ah. Or maybe they make a racist joke, and everyone's like, ah. And you're not laughing. And, bro, I love you. You know, I, you, you know I'm your boy. I just don't find that funny, man. Can we just change the humor? Awkward moment. Gentle, humble, non-participation. Let's say you finally bring your fiancé to, to work. It's a company party. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, how'd you get her? She's like way out of your league, you know? I'm the only one who heard that? Okay, thank you. For... <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, like, do you guys live together? No, 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 I, I, I live here. She's what do you mean you don't live together? You haven't test drive the car? What are you talking about, bro? Like, what's wrong with you? Um, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I just believe sex is more than physical. It's actually spiritual. And yeah, we've been dating for three years and have had sex, but we're, we're waiting for marriage, and then we're going to have sex every day for three months. Come on. I'm going to catch up for lost time. Awkward moment. Gentle, humble non-participation. I just need to warn you, though, the moment you refuse to bow your knee, watch what happens to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3, verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious 
with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. I'm warning you. People's attitude will change. But obeying Jesus is worth it. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. I don't even know how you do that. My oven only goes to like 400. Like This is like 3,000. This is a crazy Middle Eastern furnace. Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if, someone say even if. In two weeks, I'm going to preach a sermon called Even If. I'm going to light you up with encouragement. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold you have set up. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow their knee to the spirit of Babylon. They refused to worship creation, and they wanted to worship creator. It didn't matter if the whole country went down that path. Narrow is the road that leads to God. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. They refused. They said, even if God doesn't save us, we're not bowing down. And I'm wondering, are there some bold Christians who are willing to have some bold faith in 2021? This is even if God doesn't heal my marriage, I'm still going to worship you. Even if God doesn't remove this cancer, I'm still going to worship you. Even if God doesn't heal my financial fix my financial situation, I'm still going to worship you. Even if God doesn't bring my wayward son back, I'm still going to worship you. Even if God doesn't give me a child, I'm still going to worship you. No matter what, will you worship God no matter the outcome? That's what bold faith does. It doesn't worship God if he heals, if he restores, if he shows up. It says, even if because what he did on a cross for me is worthy of praise for an entire generation, for all of eternity. Even if God doesn't give you another blessing, you are supernaturally overwhelmed with blessing. God gave you what you didn't deserve, grace. He's allowing a bunch of sexually immoral people like me and you into heaven. Heaven is not filled with good people. Heaven is filled with forgiven people. They're not good guys and bad guys, just Jesus and all of us. And that guy died for us. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray for you. God, I know this was a a very heavy message. But I want our church to be bold, God. I pray for grace. I pray for your spirit to pour out, God. The spirit of Babylon is very prevalent in Silicon Valley. But greater is he that is in me that is in the world. Would you pour out your spirit, God, to encourage me, to fill me so I can obey you and follow you? God, even if you don't come, even if you don't heal, even if you don't transform, even if you don't heal, even if you don't redeem, restore, and bring my family back, I'm still going to worship you. God, I want to worship you and you alone. God, I bend my knee and confess with my tongue that you're Lord. I feel very led to pray for some of you in this room that you've had these moments, a Daniel moment in your life 
and you didn't take it. I just want to remind you, it's okay. We all have those moments. But make a decision in this room that from today on, I'm going to stand for God. From today on, I'm going to bend my knee for him. I feel led to pray for those that are new to church, that you never knew God of heaven left and became a man. He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless and perfect life, and then he died a death he shouldn't have died. He died in our place for our sin, even though he did nothing. Our God loves us so much. He, like a father, was willing to die so that his children could live. And this God wants relationship with you. But to receive his gift of salvation, to receive the gift of new life and a second chance, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin and come to Jesus. You need to give him your sexuality. You need to give him your heart. You need to give him your life. And he will give you eternal life. Whether you're watching online or you're in this room with every eye closed and every head bowed, and that's you and you want to start a relationship with Jesus, the living God, who loves you enough to die for you. Would you be just willing to raise your hand with every eye closed? Just pray this prayer in your heart. You can put your hand down. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't have to die. No, no one took your life. You willingly laid it down so that I can be forgiven, so that I could be given life. Thank you, God, for loving me. Even though I fall short, I turn from my sin, Lord. I turn from my ways, my ideologies, my sexuality. I give it all to you, God. Teach me your ways. Teach me how to think. Teach me how to love. Teach me how to live again. Would you fill me with your spirit, God, so I can follow you all the days of my life? Everybody said? Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.